Since November 28, 1987, Kevin Williams has had a very heavy interest in radio. Now he's living his dream by doing a podcast. Welcome to the LDS Life Podcast. I didn't want to do this without really making sure that I was going to like the end product. So after we freeze-dried these, uh, we invited a bunch of friends over. I invited my mom over, and uh, we all sat down, and we took these freeze-dried hamburgers, and we put them in some hot water, and we let them sit for about 20 minutes. How hot was the water? Uh, Just out of the tap. Oh, okay. So my water is about 120 degrees. Okay. Um, and let it soak for about 20 minutes. It reconstituted the hamburger, and uh, I threw it in the pan for about two minutes just to kind of sear the outside edge of it. And you could not tell the difference between that and a fresh burger that just came out of the fridge. Welcome to the LDS Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Williams, the Blind Montana Man, podcasting to you from Billings, Montana. This is a two-part episode where I interview a person named Steve Manson, M-A-D-S-E-N. Steve Manson is a person out of Vernal who manages two facilities. One is an assisted living center, and the other is a golden age center. Steve Manson is very knowledgeable about food storage and prepping. He does not have a Facebook page or website that discusses these matters, but I could tell in the conversations leading up to the podcast that he was extremely knowledgeable about this topic and still is. A friend of mine introduced me to him and suggested that I had to interview him for my podcast, and so I did. Part one of the podcast, we discuss how he got into food storage and prepping. We also discussed the technology out there, such as a light bulb that he has in his light, I think he has it in all of his rooms, I believe, on all of the rooms in his house. He has these LED light bulbs that can actually tell if the electricity is off or not. So when he flips a switch on and the power's out, the light bulb will come on. It's battery powered. He did not know the brand of the light bulb, but it sounds like a very neat thing to be talking about. We also talked about freeze-dried food, and the reason this is a two-part podcast is because we got off on a tangent about a topic called sous vide cooking. That's S-O-U-S-V-I-D-E cooking. Sous vide cooking is where you put food in a gallon Ziploc bag and put it in a pot and have the sous vide motor go up to 140 degrees or wherever you would like. We talked about how he cooked hamburger with this, freeze dried it, reconstituted it, and it tasted just as good as a hamburger that you would get out of the fridge. Now enjoy part one of this interview with Steve Matson. It is Wednesday, September 15th, 2021. I'm Kevin Williams. This is the LDS Life Podcast. Just a note here that starting next week, I will be launching a brand new podcast called Can Canning Plus 7. There'll be more information about that. Basically, I'll be talking about food storage, canning, other types of food storage. Let me rephrase that. Canning, food, uh, canning, other types of food storage, farming, ranching, homesteading, gardening, and politics. So it'll be canning plus seven. And I'll still be doing this podcast periodically. This podcast is going to be up for quite a while, probably another, well, probably another year. Uh, just in case something happens in the LDS community, I can come back and talk about it. And if I have a phenomenal guest, so Have no fear, the podcast will still be here, at least for another year. 
But I'm just letting you know that uh, this podcast is going to be phasing out a little bit. And actually, uh, we are going to talk about food storage tonight and possibly some other things about prepping. Steve Madsen, M-A-D-S-E-N, is with us tonight. How are you, Steve? Doing well, thank you. Good. And uh, I want to thank uh, a friend of mine for recommending you. Now, you have no books. We just, uh, a friend of mine and I were talking about a podcast that I should do. And your name came up. So I figured, why don't I interview you on this podcast and then the other podcast that's about to launch? And okay. uh, so I want to talk about uh, food storage and maybe we'll get into other types of preparation, but particularly food storage, because food storage isn't just canning, is it? It's freeze drying. It's vacuum packing. It's storing water. Uh, what would you have to say about that? Well, I agree. There are all kinds of different uh, ways to preserved food um, that would make it available in the future. Uh, so yeah, it's a whole lot more than canning. Um, but, but on that note, as far as canning goes, I just left uh, my wife and friend in the kitchen. And uh, tonight we are canning um, peach jam. Oh. Our, uh, our peach tree did very well this year. And uh, you know, those things are kind of time sensitive. And so the peaches were coming off and then tonight we're we're having a jam party, so um, lots of lots of peach jam being going on in the kitchen tonight. Do you live out in the country? Uh, I do live in a county, but I'm not necessarily. Uh, you know, there's only ten thousand people in Vernal, so I, I don't know really where you draw the line between uh, uh, you know county and and country and and you know I think it pretty much is all considered country, but um, we're right on the line. We are in the county though. I want to live out in the country and eat me a lot of peaches. Well, I tell you what, this would have been a great year for them. They were so good this year. Uh, yeah. For our, those our of you that don't trees. know, there's a song called Peaches by the Presidents of the United States of America. And it says, moving to the country, going to eat me a lot of peaches. Yeah. Uh, good year for them. So I'll bet. I'm sure the, uh, the Presidents of the United States of America, the band from Seattle, which is now defunct, would be ever so happy. Uh, let's talk about how did you get started in this venture in the first place? Well, I have to give credit where credit is due. The wife has always been the uh, real motivator behind this, the real push behind getting this done. Um, she's just been phenomenal at keeping our family running. Um, though I'll have to say, uh, I, I can't claim on having always been a phenomenal provider, uh, through different circumstances and different roads that we have traveled. Uh, we've lived uh, pretty lean at times. And so uh, she has always just been really good at uh, stretching the budget and making things last. And um, canning is a, is a big part of what she did as a, as a kid growing up. And uh, she just feels a real connection with gardening and canning and, and preserving, um, you know, the things that we grow ourselves. Uh, and so my wife has really been the, the big motivation behind it. And then, uh, you know, obviously the church has told us to, uh, you know, be prepared. And that has also been, you know, a big part of it as well, looking at the things that are going on in the world and paying attention to what's happening out there. Uh, felt that really it was a time to, oh, probably about five years ago, really start, you know, getting our, getting our act together and, and taking this seriously. And uh, I think that was about the time that it really took off for us. The wife really is the one to, to be credited for doing this. I think this would be a great time for me to read your biography that you sent me here. 
My wife, Lisa, and I have always tried to put a little away for a rainy day. I have worked a lot of jobs where my income was not consistent. So it was always feast or famine. That, along with being an Eagle Scout, has us wanting to be prepared. We feel being prepared is three folds, physical, mental, and spiritual. The easiest of the three is physical. We have a freeze dryer, garden, and fruit trees. We follow some basic guidelines for food storage. Mental preparation for us is paying attention to what goes on in our community, country, and around the world. Arming yourself with information, we imagine what our role may be. Our spiritual preparation is firmly placed on a foundation of Jesus Christ. We do our best to learn of his ways and follow in his footsteps. To be truly prepared requires a good balance of all three. That is easier said than done. I think that's a pretty good biography, don't you? I believe so. Or a pretty good, maybe not a necessarily biography, a pretty good introduction. And uh, what a good way to segue here. So when did you start doing this journey? Because obviously you've gotten into more, I'm under the impression based on our conversations off the podcast that you have gotten into other things like uh, gardening. And I don't know if you're a diehard homesteader, but maybe you know a little bit about hydro. What other things do you do? We're going to talk mainly about food storage tonight, but uh, what else have you gotten into as far as prepping? Well, uh, as far as that goes, it really, really to understand where we have arrived. Um, I need to tell you how the journey, kind of how the journey began for us and, and how we got to where we are. Uh, it really started, of course, with my wife uh, having done this always and always heard about the food storage. And, you know, you go back to uh, when I was in, in grade school, you know, my parents were always working on food storage. I remember in 1976, uh, we went out and bought a truckload of wheat. And I remember prepping that wheat, uh, putting it in cans and how we, how we prep that. And by the way, I still have some of that wheat and it's still good. Um, I don't know that the process that we used is one that they necessarily still, still do now, but, uh, we use diatomaceous earth to put it in there. And so I would say my, my entire life, we've always, you know, been interested in, in being prepared for anything that may come down. Um, and so as my wife and I were talking about it and, and trying to come up with what we thought was the best way to really get ourselves prepared. And by the way, we, uh, we don't claim to be any professionals at this or, you know, or anything else. We, what I'm sharing with you is what has worked for my wife and I, mm -hmm. and I'm sure other people have other circumstances. And so some of this may work and some may not, but uh, the general premise of it, I think is pretty solid. And so what my wife and I did was uh, we decided that if we were going to have to, you know, prepare for a rainy day, that, that we wanted to be prepared as close to the same as the way we live now as possible. And so what we did is we, we started off and one day uh, we just decided we were going to write everything down, everything that we did. And so we got up in the morning and, uh, you know, one of the first things that we do around our house in the morning is, you know, take a visit to the bathroom. Well, what are the things that you do in the bathroom? Well, you brush your teeth. Okay, so we wrote that down. We'd like to brush our teeth. So then the question came up, well, if we need to have a year's supply, how many toothbrushes do I go through a year? 
How much toothpaste do I go through a year? Have you ever stopped to figure out how many tubes of toothpaste your family goes through in a year? I haven't, no, but um, I should. That, yeah, and that's kind of where the concept started, okay? So we started dating everything. We opened a brand new tube of toothpaste and we put a date on it. And let's see how long that lasts with the two of us using it. And that gave us a basis for toothbrushes and toothpaste. For the um, record, I use lots of toothpaste, probably more than I should, but carry on. <laughs> I, I, when I served a mission in Nova Scotia, I, I was notorious for getting toothpaste all over the sink. And yeah. people know that I'm blind. So this is nothing. So that my companion would joke, he who is blind cannot see where to brush his teeth. I thought that was pretty good. That is, that is good. I like that. <laughs> so we, we determined in talking to our dentist and just the habits that we have, you know, we have the toothbrush that we use and we have uh, four for backup. And so in storage, I have four toothbrushes. Um, the amount of toothpaste, I couldn't really tell you off the top of my head how many tubes of toothpaste that we have, but I can promise you it is plenty. Um, so then we moved on. Okay, what are some of the other things that, that happen in your morning routine? Um, you know, I like to, to comb my hair. And so, uh, you know, combs and, and brushes, uh, Q-tips come in pretty handy. Um, you know, a little ibuprofen maybe, depending on what the day has in store for it. Yeah. And we just... We kept going down that list, and every time we did something, we wrote it down. Um, so it's kind of like a, a purchasing journal, kind of. Yes, and every activity that you do during the day. And uh, so, you know, interesting question. We had this little pandemic, which was kind of a dry run on toilet paper to see how people, how well people were prepared. Oh, my gosh, that was crazy, wasn't it? It, it really was. So then... After now that we're not necessarily in a toilet paper shortage, I've asked many of my coworkers, well, how many rolls of toilet paper do you go through in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year? And they're like, well, gee, I really have no idea. Well, if you have no idea and you saw what happened during the pandemic, how are you preparing for the next time when this rolls around? So we put the date on the inside of the toilet paper roll on the cardboard. And we, we looked to see how long it took us to go through a roll of toilet paper. And from that, you can then start making projections as to how much toilet paper you should keep in storage, depending on how much of a supply you want to have. Um, and so that's really where, where the journey began for us. And that just kind of expanded uh, to the point of things like, I live fairly close to where my work is. Um, it's under a mile. And if uh, things really got bad and I still needed to go to work, um, what would be the best way to get there? Well, a bicycle. You know, a bicycle is going to be usable pretty much regardless of the circumstances. Middle of the winter is not going to be so great around here. But And you can you know, play the song Bicycle Race by Queen. I like to exactly. ride my bicycle. Carry on. One of, very, very familiar with it. And then, yes, then the it's a great was, song. Well, if I needed to, if I needed to, to help somebody out, or if I needed to take something to work, how would I accomplish that? And so I bought a, a little wagon that attaches to the back of my bicycle and um, it can hold up to a hundred pounds. And so if I need to haul something around, I've got a little wagon that I can fit on the back of my bike. And that was kind of where the process began. Now that was at the very, you know, the very beginning obviously was the bathroom. And then it's like, well, I like to get dressed. And, and so I've got a, a nice supply of uh, shoes and pants and shirts and socks and all the essentials that you would need to, to get dressed. And if I couldn't go to the store for a year, I would have plenty of clothes to wear and they would be nice clothes to wear. Um, 
So that was, that was again, one of those things. And then off to work and, and the food, uh, you know, that falls into the food preparation and food storage and everything else that we do that way. Um, but really what we found is that most of the things that we were really short on were things other than food. Um, working in a facility that has a lot of nurses, I, I sat down with our director of nursing at work and I said, if you were to put together a first aid kit, you know, in case there was an emergency, what would it have in it? And uh, so she got together with us and we went through our first aid kit and, and she found some holes that we had in there that we needed to, to purchase additional items. So now I'm fairly confident that we have a decent first aid kit. Um, and, and it's those type things. As, as things progressed, um, new, new, new technology that's out there that is just really the, the, the coolest stuff, um, a light bulb. I have a light bulb in my house that uh, when I turn the light on, it shines like any other light bulb, but it has a battery in it. And so every time I turn the light on, I'm charging that battery. So now the light bulb is capable of being a flashlight if I need it to be. I can unscrew it from the socket up in the ceiling and it comes with a little attachment that screws on the back side of it with a button. And I can use that light bulb as a flashlight. That little button that screws on the back also has a hook on it. So if I have a, a line or something, I can string a line and hang these light bulbs off of it. And I have lights, it, even if I have no power because it's basically the same as a flashlight. Now what's even cooler about these particular lights is that it can tell whether you have lost power or not. And oh. which I, I was really skeptical of that part of it. Um, I've wired quite a few houses and have done my share of electrical work. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how can that light bulb possibly know the difference between me, me shutting it off at the switch versus losing power out at the panel? But it does know the difference. Here, not long ago, we had a power outage, and I went over and turned the switch on, and my lights came on. Wow. Because my light bulb was capable of knowing the difference between a power outage and just simply shutting the switch off. And so I've got those throughout my house. Um, Is there a computer chip in there? Or how, how do you, how does it know? Do you... I, I don't, I don't understand the technology behind it. Wow. I, I, I really don't. And all I know is that it does work because I've got them in my house. And when I lost power, it worked. But wait, but okay. So let me back up here. So when you turned on your light, it must've had some electricity or it wouldn't have been able to turn on at all, correct? There must have been some electricity generating to your light switch. Well, the and that's the interesting part. The light itself has a battery in it. And so oh, the, the light bulb? The light bulb itself has a battery in it. It's an LED light and it has a battery in it. And it is capable of knowing if you're turning it on and off at the switch or if you have lost power to your home and are turning it on at the switch. So the light itself, not the light bulb, but the light itself doesn't even have to be plugged into anything. I guess it, it must know that if you're turning on a switch, it must know that you're turning on something I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah. Like I say, I don't understand the technology yeah. behind it, but That's it, interesting. it looks like, yeah, it looks like a regular light bulb and uh, it just screws into a regular socket like any light bulb does. And uh, the little, the little piece on the back, like I said, you can take it out. 
And the only thing that the, the light bulb requires, it has to be in a light that you use occasionally because in order to keep the battery charged, you know, you occasionally have to flip the light on and use it while you do have power in order for it to be ready when you lose power. So I've got them in places, you know, where I, I turn the lights on and off on a regular basis to keep them charged up. Anyway, so that's just one, yeah, that's just one of the little things. One of the little things that, uh, that we have, that we have come across that, um, uh, that has been really, uh, and again, going down that list of, you know, what am I doing? I'm sitting here reading a book. What are the things I like to read a book? Uh, you know, I like something to sit on. I like um, a warm blanket. Um, I like light. And so in our research to find how to accomplish all those things um, and make sure that we had you know, ample product for that, uh, we came across these light bulbs and it was like, you know, we've been storing all these batteries for flashlights and everything else. Here is, here is something that uh, has all of that self-contained. And it's even as convenient as simply turning the switch on. If you lose power, you really don't have to do anything else. But Very interesting. Wow. Uh, I, I would like, we're not going to go down this road because A, you don't know. B, we've got a good bunch of things. I would like to know how this technology works. Maybe, do you know yeah. what the brand of your light bulb is by chance though? Uh, not off the top of my head, but I can certainly find out. Yeah. Why don't yeah. you text me and then I'll, maybe I'll just put it on a blog or mention it in my new podcast launching or something like that. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll, share, I'll share that with you because that is a, it's a fascinating piece of technology. Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah, how long have you had these light bulbs? I want to say that I got them last year around Christmas time. I remember handing some out to some friends prior to Christmas. And so I've had them for, at this point, probably, uh, you know, 10, 11 months. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's uh, get back into food storage and uh, maybe we can talk about some other preparation uh, in another podcast. But let's just give you my background here just a little bit. I remember in 1989, sitting at a church service, an LDS church service, it was a sacrament meeting. I don't, I don't know why I remember this. Just, I think it was about a week or two before general conference of October of 1989. I sat in a church service. Somebody actually said, get your food storage ready because in 20 years, we might have a famine. Well, that okay. bothered me so much so that 20 years later in 2009, I reflected on that talk and thought, well, we're not on a famine yet. And I keep hearing all this rhetoric about food storage. It's not that I didn't believe it. It just sounded so far-fetched. Yeah. Then last year, as we discussed the toilet paper shortage, which was the goofiest thing of all, <laughs> it was quite comical. Yeah. I remember going to Home Depot because somebody told me, oh, Home Depot sells a lot of toilet paper. Really? Yeah, but don't tell anybody. Well, guess what? I went there. No toilet paper. Fortunately, yeah. my friend had toilet paper. He was crazy. Yeah. It, the, the whole thing, and especially in a small town like Vernal, where we live in, um, there are basically three roads that go in and out of Vernal. If you know the dirt roads and the back roads and everything else, you can find a way. But as far as highway goes, there's a highway in, a highway out, and one that comes down from Wyoming. And that's it. And so mm -hmm. it's pretty easy for Vernal to get shut off from the outside world. Um, and so, you know, uh, shipping, I don't know how much, um, you know, you at work, I deal with this quite a bit. Um, I'm having a hard time getting pieces and parts for anything because shipping right now is so difficult. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so 
And that's part of, that's when I talk about preparation and paying attention to what's going on in, in your county and in your communities and, and in your country, you know, with the shipping difficulties that are out there, um, you really can't anticipate being able to run to the store and pick up what you need uh, at the, at the beginning of some kind of a, of an issue. You've got to have that storage. Now you have to build it slowly. And, and, uh, you know, that's just, that's just what we're a firm believer in. So the different kinds of different kind of foods and the different ways that we store things. Um, one of the more interesting ones that I can share with you in, and we've found this because we're trying to preserve stuff in such a way that we can just keep eating the way that we eat. You know, I don't want to go through a, a huge change in my diet. And so we eat what we store and uh, we store, you know, basically what we eat. And so I went out and this last year I bought uh, a cow, um, had it, had it uh, butchered uh, the way that we wanted it butchered. And uh, one of the things, one of the things that I like is uh, a hamburger. And so I'm thinking if I want a hamburger and, and things are really kind of down and out and a little bit tough, you know, what is going to be the best way for me to have a hamburger? Well, through a freeze drying group that I uh, was watching on, on Facebook, a lady mentioned a process called sous vide. And I don't know if you've heard of sous vide cooking or not. Never. Okay. Well, sous vide cooking is um, cooking with uh, basically boiling, boiling the food in hot water but the food itself is inside a plastic bag. So let me just let me just walk you through the process of what we do. It reminds take you me of uh, cafeteria food a little bit, but carry on. It it um, much better though. Okay, <laughs> I've, I've had some cafeteria food. This is really good. So um, the wife makes up the hamburger, and we do it in a uh, she, uh, you know you put some egg in there and a little bit of oatmeal and and a few other things to help hold the whole thing together. And uh, I can fit four patties in a one-gallon Ziploc bag. And I take that one-gallon Ziploc bag and I submerge it into a water bath. And I try to extract as much air as possible out of the bag. I want it to be, you know, as, as tight to the food as it possibly can be. Mm -hmm. And I submerge it down into, the, uh, down into this water bath. And the water bath has a, a little electric motor that will circulate water and heat the water to any temperature that you set it to. So for these hamburgers, um, I submerge them into this water bath. I set the temperature at 140 degrees for an hour and I let them cook. And when the, when the meat comes out, that hamburger is cooked completely um, to 140, degree, 140 degrees, inside, outside, um, it is 140 degrees uh, completely. Uh, unlike when you cook a hamburger on a barbecue or in a pan or on a grill, you know, you're introducing a tremendous amount of heat up to the outside and you're trying to reach a specific temperature on the inside without making the outside charcoal. Um, the benefits of the sous vide is that it is not introducing a specific heat point. That hot water will heat to 140 degrees and it will heat the meat on the outside, on the inside, on every side to 140 degrees. And so now the hamburger is completely cooked. Um, I take it out of the sous vide and I take it out of the, uh, uh, out of the plastic bag and I put that on a tray and I freeze dry it. And I put that, that sous vide hamburger into a freeze dryer. It takes about 24 to 30 hours to, uh, uh, to freeze dry it. And when it comes out of the freeze dryer, 
it kind of looks like a hockey puck. Mm. It's, it's hard. It is, it is, has no moisture in it whatsoever. And uh, we take those and put them into a Mylar bag with an oxygen absorber. And uh, we seal them up and suck the oxygen out and throw them into our food storage. And now I've got a hamburger, a hamburger patty that is uh, completely freeze dried and good to be stored at room temperature uh, for who knows how long, they say up to 25 years. And so I didn't want to do this without really making sure that I was going to like the end product. So after we freeze dried these, uh, we invited a bunch of friends over. I invited my mom over and uh, we all sat down and we took these freeze dried uh, hamburgers and we put them in some hot water and we let them sit for about 20 minutes. How hot was the water? Uh, just out of the tap. Oh, okay. So my water is about 120 degrees. Okay. Um, and let it soak for about 20 minutes. It reconstituted the hamburger and uh, I threw it in the pan for about two minutes just to kind of sear the outside edge of it. And you could not tell the difference between that and a fresh burger that just came out of the fridge. Wow. So let me ask you that. So you gave this a hot water bath. Did you get a special pan? Cause you said that you put a motor in there. What is it? What you don't is it? have to. Yeah. You don't have to have a special pan. Um, the, Certain certain companies do make, you know, a, a pan and, and different accessories for this this gizmo um, that you can use. But when I originally bought it, I just I just bought it and I clamped it right on the outside of a stock pot. Is all that I did. It's just got a little knob on the back that allows you to basically C clamp it onto the side of the pot, and uh, the motor circulates the water and the little heating elements in there raise the water temperature to whatever you want them to be. Um, I bought a little bit nicer one just because uh, the wife the wife works also and I work. And so in this particular case, we uh, and you can cook just about anything in the in the sous vide method. And so in the mornings, if we choose to, I can throw I can throw some steak, uh, some corn and maybe some potatoes into this plastic bags and into the into the pot for the sous vide and just let it sit there. And I can com communicate with my sous vide through the Wi-Fi and through the Internet. And about three o'clock in the afternoon, I fire up my app on my phone and turn my sous vide on. And when wow. we, get home, we get home at five o'clock, my, my steaks are cooked, my corn is hot, my potatoes are reheated. And, uh, you know, a, a couple minutes in the pan for my steak just to sear the outside edge of it. And it comes out phenomenal. So um, this is a special kind of motor then for sous vide cooking, correct? Yes, it is specific to sous vide cooking because you're going to want the motor's designed to, to circulate the water around the pot, and it has the heating elements in there. And it's got to be able to, to realize when you reach the temperature that you want and not get any hotter, uh, you know, it just maintains that temperature for you. And so you could you can set it to its half degree increments, 134 and a half, you know, 135. It really will go that specific depending on how you're wow. cooking. And so there's a lot that you can do with that. And hamburgers is just one example. Um, so now, you know, I've got uh, a 250 pounds worth of hamburger sitting in a freezer outside, and I don't anticipate being able to keep my freezer up and running. Um, I might be able to, but in the long term, if I can't, you know, I've got my hamburger patties that are already freeze dried and uh, I can have a hamburger anytime I want to throw it in some water and put some heat to it. Interesting. Um, so let me thing, just, I'll I'm go sorry. ahead. Uh, the other thing we've done with, with the hamburger is just browning it 
we'll brown the hamburger. I can put two, two pounds of hamburger per tray. I can do eight pounds of hamburger at a time and freeze dry that. And we know we have a food scale and we know how many ounces of freeze dried hamburger equals a pound. So if we're trying to supplement, uh, you know, a, a hamburger helper or something along that lines, you know, how much of this hamburger to add to it to, in order to make that meal. Interesting. So let me ask you a question then before I get to my series of questions. Yeah. Um, would you ever barbecue a hamburger on your barbecue or let's say smoke it on a Traeger, a Rectech, whatever. Okay. Then freeze dry it. Why would you not want to do that as opposed to the sous vide cooking just out of curiosity? Because someone's probably going to ask, why don't you just barbecue your food and freeze dry it? What's the difference, do you think? Is it taste, personal preference, or what? Well, it's the, it's the cooking method itself. And really, the, the best way that I can describe it is if you go out and are you know, capable of seeing on the Internet, um, the consistency that a sous vide will cook compared to a barbecue. And like I said, the barbecue introduces heat from the outside and you're trying to get that same temperature to the inside. For me, a yes. hamburger is 140 degrees. Mm-hmm. I want to get the interior of my hamburger to 140 degrees. If I'm doing a steak, it's 130, 134 degrees um, for a steak. And I'm trying to get the middle of the steak to reach that temperature without the outside being cooked excessively. And that's what the sous vide does. The sous vide cooks the entire meat for me to 140 degrees and the outside's not overcooked and the inside's not raw. The whole thing is cooked at 140 degrees and it is perfect every time. A very expensive steak will be cooked in a sous vide because you can bring the temperature of that steak up to whatever you want, depending on whether you like a medium rare, medium Whatever it is, you can bring that steak up to that temperature and then just throw it on the barbecue for a couple of minutes to sear the outside edge or even pan sear it. And it comes out incredible. Now, when you say a very expensive steak is sous vide, are are you talking about they cook in a steakhouse with a sous vide or? If you you were to go to an expensive steakhouse um, and the best example I give you is like a Roost Crisp. Yeah. Or something like that, where you're going to expect to pay upwards of, uh, you know, $40, $50 for a steak. Um, I can almost guarantee you this is how they cook them. Really? Well, and the other side of it, too, the other side about sous vide, and I know we're kind of off the path a little bit here. That's okay. The other side of the sous vide cooking is that I want to bring, for me, a, a steak, and, and I do, you know, prime rib or, or whatever, you know, cut of steak, New York, that I want to cut, um, that I want to cook, excuse me, uh, 134 degrees is where I want it cooked. And I can put it in, bring it up to 134 degrees. It takes about 40 or 45 minutes for it to get there. I don't have to pull that out right at that point and cook it. I can leave that steak in there for up to three hours. And it's not going to cook any more or any less by leaving it in there. So I can throw it in there and get it cooking. And if I've got family coming over or friends coming over, and, you know, they're ready to eat. I'll pull it out, uh, throw it on the barbecue for the couple of minutes, and their steak is hot and ready to go. If somebody else isn't ready right now, they can sit in the sous vide and wait for another hour. And it doesn't make any difference. So you could leave something boiling in 140 degree water as it's boiling or cooking, whatever, and leave right. it there for five hours. And it still isn't going to burn. 
Well, I've never done as much as five. I've done a little over three, between three and four hours, and it was still absolutely perfect. Okay. Now, for some of us, we're going to get back on topic, but this is intriguing. One of the ideas of my podcast, people say, oh, your podcasts are too long. Well, I want to be organic. I, I try to be very conversational. And so I try to make this podcast as organic as possible. So back to this uh, Suvi thing. It's very intriguing. Yeah. Um, some of us love the taste of a barbecued steak or smoked hamburger or whatever. And so some of us are thinking, well, I want my steak to have the barbecued flavor. That's why I might barbecue my steak, then freeze dry. What would you say to people like me? Well, the only, the only issue that I have with that is reconstituting, you know, reconstituting a steak that has been barbecued. Mm -hmm. You know, I find that the outside where that heat source has been introduced. Yeah. Uh, and it gets so much hotter than what you want the inside of the steak to be that it doesn't reconstitute very well. Oh, really? It, in my opinion, it's been overcooked on the outside as you're trying to get that middle uh, to the temperature that you want it to be. Um, oh. Whereas the, the sous vide cooks it completely through the whole thing without introducing that heat source from the outside. Now, if you like the taste of a good barbecued steak, sous vide the steak, throw it in the freeze dryer. And when you're ready to have a barbecued steak, pull it out, put it in the water for 20 minutes, reconstitute it and throw it on the barbecue. What, for two or three minutes? Yeah, two or three minutes, sear the outside edge of it and, and get that barbecue flavor on the outside. Um, and I, that's what we do and it tastes great. And so you, you, you put a two or three minutes on both sides, great. You flip it yes. over after. Okay. Yeah. And I get, I get my grill nice and hot. Cause I'm not looking to, you know, I'm not looking to cook the inside of the, of the beef at this point, it's already cooked. Mm -hmm. And by putting it in the hot water for 20 minutes, the inside of the meat is, is back up to 120 degrees. So I'll throw it maybe for 30 to 45 seconds on each side. And, and kind of flip it when you barbecue and, you know, you flip it over. So you get that nice checkered pattern on the outside and, um, you know, season it, get your flavoring and, you know, two, three, four minutes on the barbecue. And you've got an absolutely delicious steak that I guarantee you will taste as good as any steak that you've barbecued from right out of the, right out of the refrigerator. So let me ask you this. Can you marinate your steak before you put it in the CV cooker? You can absolutely. Okay. Yeah. You put it, and, and what you do is you put any kind of marinades or anything else that you want in there, and as you I submerge, guess it's a CVU cooker, isn't it? Uh, sous vide. Sous vide, okay. Sous vide, okay. Yeah, sous vide. Um, uh, let me see. S-I-U-S, -S -S, two words, V-I-D-E. Oh, okay. So the second S is silent now. It's called sous vide. Sous vide, yes, and it's French, and so... Um, not Suba or Subaru, but Suvi. Okay. Su, yeah, Suvi. Anyway, it's, um, I, like I say, I stumbled across it. A lady who was uh, on the Facebook uh, freeze-dried group, um, she said that she sous-vide the hamburger patties for her husband, who was a truck driver. And anytime oh. he wanted a hamburger, he could throw it in a, a container of water driving down the road. And his truck had a, uh, an air fryer in it. And so he would reconstitute it in a little bit of water, throw it in the air dryer, and he'd have him a homemade hamburger anytime he wanted one. Um, nice. And well, that's uh, it would keep. And then, oh, what's that? 
I said, and it would keep for, I mean, it's not like he has to have it refrigerated or anything else. It's freeze-dried. It'll keep for as long as you need it to keep, weeks, months, years. Wow. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode of the ODS Life podcast. Don't forget to check out part two where we discuss canning, packing food in vacuum packs, liquid nitrogen, and we discuss storing water. I hope you enjoyed part one of this episode of the LDS Life podcast. If you would like to send me an email and suggest a guest, please do so. Email me at kevinw at ldslifepodcast.com. That's kevinw at ldslifepodcast.com. Thank you very much.